0: Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is everyone Wednesday today. It's Wednesday, and the midweek edition of the program is the day where everybody gets a chance to win something. Um, I have a special guest author who's coming up. he have got a couple of books of hers to give away, especially if you're a grandparent, if you're a pastor, Uh, and you've been wondering about church membership, and oftentimes as we move into Thanksgiving and the Advent season and Christmas, we don't think about membership too much. We think about trying to get people to participate in the financial aspect of our ministries at the end of the year, if you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) We want people to give. But what do we need to know about church membership? Why is it so important for people to be involved in that? We've got a couple of different resources to share with you. You know, One of the things I wanted to kind of point out here, um, as the election tabulations were coming in, and I was looking at the Scott Baugh versus Katie Porter race in the uh, 47th Assembly District, I couldn't help but notice that uh, one of the things that uh, Dr. Porter was actually getting to take advantage of was the fact that while she was on leave to, uh, you know, she's she's a professor, but she's also a congresswoman and that type of thing. Um, <laughs> there's, you might not know this, but there's a really nice neighborhood um, that's near UC Irvine, that actually is a place where faculty and staff get a chance to live there. It's a an, what's called an academic community in residence. It offers 1,226 for-sale homes and 384 apartments on more than 300 acres of land. It looks like your regular residential neighborhood, but well, it's also uh, owned by UC Irvine. So check this out. Katie Porter ran for Congress 2018. She won the 45th district. She's up for the 47th district now. And she was teaching at uh, the law school at UC Irvine. She was making $258,000 a year as a college professor. So she took a pay cut, ostensibly, to um, to run for Congress and win, get $174,000 a year. If she gets on a committee, they, the pay could bump up. But what's interesting is these are all rent controlled or price controlled homes so for example a home in there that's five bedrooms three and a half baths 2500 square feet on a 5200 square foot lot not bad Um, redfin says that a home like this in that region would sell for about two million dollars right now 20 years ago the sum home sold for four hundred thousand dollars and basically now it's taxed on a value of six hundred thousand dollars but quite frankly, because the university owns the home, technically, they don't have to pay $2 bucks to live there. So Katie Porter gets a $250,000 salary that is kind of on ice right now. And then there's the issue of her congressional salary. But while she's on a leave of absence from UCI law school, she also got to still maintain that residence in addition to where she lived in D.C. is that crazy? Isn't that wild? <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Um, I'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com, but, you know, special perks for thee and not for me. You know, again, I understand that when you work in education, you work in academia, not all college professors get those perks. Not all teachers get those perks. But if you teach in the People's Republic of California, you do very, very well for yourself if you are full-time and you make it into the upper echelons of where are the great gigs. So I just wanted to share that um, and put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com for you to take a look at. Okay, We'll take a quick break here. We're going to jump right into this. One of the things that we in the body of Christ often want to do but don't always do that well is... We want to tell our kids about how much we love them and we want our kids to know that and also that they can say i love you this much as well michelle medlock adams is an author who's written a lot of kids books she has a new book called i love you to the sun and beyond and why i like it so much it's great for this time of year because you're going to be getting more time with your grandkids it's a great story to uh, teach some interesting facts about the world um, but also it helps them to be introduced in a non-threatening way to the universal, essential, never-ending, unconditional love of God in their lives. Michelle's going to join me to talk about this book on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Over the weekend, I did a little math, and I want to thank you as a bottom line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day, and you have stepped up in a huge way. But I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 250 ultrasounds per year which means it's going to save about 2500 babies lives over the course of that 10-year period ultrasound machine costs fifteen thousand dollars so far because of your generosity you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids we're about 171 away from that stated goal and i know we can do it can you give a 280 dollars donation right now to save 10 more babies lives 833-850-BABY is the number to call or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner go to the go to rogermarsh.com click on the preborn banner it takes about 30 seconds to save the life of a baby go to preborn and save babies lives today Well today here on the bottom line we're going to take a look at a special story that I think is is fun simply because it's very interactive and it's something that gives us in the grandparenting world especially a chance to kind of reach out to the grandkids in our life uh, Michelle Medlock-Adams is with me, co-author of a brand new book called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for this book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Michelle Medlock-Adams, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Michelle Medlock-Adams is a very prolific author. That's putting it mildly. She's an award-winning journalist. She's earned more than 75 industry awards, is the best-selling author of more than 100 books. Uh, she and her husband, uh, Jeff, have met two married daughters and five darling grandchildren. Uh, do you read this book to the dogs that you have as well, too, Michelle Medlock Adams? I I must know.
1: <laughs> you you absolutely can read them to the grand pups or grandpups, to the dogs. Yeah. Yes, why not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason yeah. I I mean it's, it, it it boggles my mind. I've not been good with animals. Maybe cats occasionally. I have a son who has a husky, and I I've kind of gotten into that world of you know people who have pets and have TikTok accounts and. It just boggles my mind how much a part of the family they are. But then again, you know, there was Nathan and David and the Ulam lamb and all that stuff. So I realized, okay, well, maybe I'm just missing a part of the Old Testament that I really should be putting into practice. Let's talk about this book because it's it it seems like it's starting in a really fun, healthy place, but there's a lot more to it than just I love you. Well, I love you more. Talk about this book, why, why it was so important for you to write it right now. Yes. You
1: know, this was a fun one. It was one of the ones I co this with my buddy. Cecil Stokes, and he and I have been friends for just a very long time. We met at a writer's conference probably a decade ago now, and so we really wanted to work together, and he's a film director and does commercialism and things, and I'm in the literary part of the, of the publishing world, and we just connected on this because he adopted a little boy um, named Boone, and so he had this whole parenting perspective now, and we were just talking about some of the ways that we put our children to bed. And so I have, I had girls, and and now I have, I actually have six grandkids, and I need to update my bio. We have a mm-hmm. a brand new squishy one; she's just two months old. Oh, <laughs> so, fun, um, fun, fun! So sweet, yeah. So we were talking about, the, you know, some of the of the rep, rep, uh, repetitive things that we do at night, and one of the things we always do with our girls is we would, uh, you know, we'd pray with them, and then they'd run to get forty-two drinks of water and all those things, right. you know, that they do when they don't want to go to sleep. They right, always right. do that. Uh, so we would start this. I love you more than game and it it did sort of calm them down because they were always hyper when we tried to put them to bed mm-hmm. and yeah I so I'd say I love you more than you know a thousand green m and then they would come back and say whatever they were into at the time I love you more than 20 dinosaurs or and so we just be, it just became this fun way and it was a tradition every night before we went to bed this is what we did and so I was telling him about it one day um because he was telling me some of the rituals that they do when they go to bed at night and And we just sort of combined our love for bedtime rituals and came up with this book, but we took it a step further. As you said, not only do we have some fun comparisons and, and really um, help parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and any kind of caregiver, you know, ways to tell the, your little, all the littles in your world, how much you love them. But we have some great educational aspects in this book. So we, we really, we thought, let's just give it all, let's put it all in there.
2: (laughs) So
0: (laughs) there's
1: lots of back matter in this book, meaning there's, extra pages full of extra information, so teachers are loving this book because we we really do have some educational things in here. So we thought, let's put some facts and figures in there, and let's do some comparisons of some real things in life that kids not only will learn how much they're loved, but learn some things about this great world that God created as well.
0: I, I love this book, and for so many different reasons, Michelle Medlock-Adams is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and the book is called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, Uh, just, I mean, obviously on the surface, there's the fun aspect of, you know, what it's like to have kids or grandkids and and do this kind of Mm -hmm. nighttime ritual. And I I think about my my five-year-old grandson, Isaac, and when we do have the opportunity to be together, uh, it is kind of fun to read the stories that he likes to do. And that's part of the, the ritual that we do. But I'm glad you included the other data as well, Michelle, because I think something that has kind of been a challenge for those of us, the grandparenting season, or even for your daughters now as they're, you know, raising their own kids, is the fact that it used to be—I don't want to say easy—but you could pull out "Goodnight Moon" and put them to bed in a couple of whiffs, and and the and the world wasn't going to be that strange. But now they're going to bed in a lot more uncertainty. They're they're growing up in a lot less regularity than we did, and and the culture really does not have the same values that we do. Talk about why a book like this, though it's it's kind of whimsical and and kind of cute and innocent, there there's a serious overtone to it in a certain regard.
1: That is that is such a good point. I think, um, I mean, I've been in this business over twenty years, and I've seen. We've all seen the world change, and even in the publishing industry. And I've written for kids for many, many years, and that's really my passion. And and even how how I approach what I'm doing now is is different because I realize that the book that the parents are reading to the child at night might be the only God influence they're going to get that day. It, it just depends on the household and we know they're not getting it in the public schools at all. And so I just, I, I'm really conscious of that when I sit down to write, you know, Lord, help me to write this, help me to have your heart in every page. You know, everything is bathed in prayer. And I'm not saying my earlier books weren't, but they, it's just, there's such significance now because I realized that not every little child is growing up and knowing anything about God. I mean, not even a baseline information about him. So we are um those of us in the industry who are who are feeling like me and there's quite a few of us, we feel like this author army. <laughs> we are we uh-huh. are we are letting these kids know how much God loves them. It's kind of our mission in life. And and I think also this this book is one that can really go um anywhere. We we did that on purpose. It's it's one of my first what they call a general market book, because it can go into the, the public schools because there's no mention of God in this. Now there's going mm-hmm. to be a sequel to this that comes out next year through the same publisher. Skyhorse uh, is a division of Simon & Schuster that's called um, I Love You From Here to Heaven Above, and it will be the same premise where it's the caregivers, you know, or the parents or the grandparents saying, I love you more than, but all the comparisons will be um, biblical uh, Mm. examples, so, you know, stronger than Samson or those kinds of things, so we're going to, we'll be teaching about all the different Bible stories in that one, so we're excited about that one, too, but in this one, one of the things that, that I think is so important is, you know, if, if kids don't know how much you love them, they can't really trust you. We right. don't we don't trust people that we're not really sure we stand with them. And so I think it's so, so important for parents to take that time at night just to say, this is how much I love you. And these are some pretty big comparisons. <laughs> so right. like one of the ones is, yeah, I love you higher than the space station, and that is really high. Mm. I love you brighter than the series star. It likes the darkest sky. And it's all done in rhyme. So kids are I'm, I'm hearing from parents that the kids have memorized this book so they're memorizing lots of great information and then in the back you can go and and you don't have to do this every time but you can go back and learn more i think that's really fun that's something especially the homeschool market is loving where they can go back and read about the space station so there's a paragraph about that in the back and there's something about the series star there's uh, all the other things that we talk about there's at least a paragraph sometimes two about each of those different topics and So it's sort of like more bang for your buck. You get to tell this child how much you love them and and educate
0: them too. Wow. It's so encouraging. Michelle Medlock Adams, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, co-author of the brand new book that's uh, for kids of all ages, I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some practical applications, not only from this, but also uh, something that uh, Michelle just mentioned with regard to the content of this book and how – we, as parents and grandparents in particular, can, uh, t- can take that next step to go a little bit deeper and not be too intimidated by the changes in the culture, but still the biblical realities that, uh, that every child is going to have to come to terms with at some point with regards to you know, life and death and, and uh, why a, you know, a, a silly I love you more game can actually turn into be a, a rather deep and meaningful experience. More of my conversation with author Michelle Midlock Adams in just a moment as the bottom line continues.
3: Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points, and they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com reverse. Contact Cliff today. Call 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. NMLS three three two five five nine Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender.
0: Michelle Medlock Adams is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, easily one of the most prolific authors we've ever had on the Bottom Line show. Hundreds of books in print, and uh, the new book, uh, "I Love You to the Sun and Beyond," is kind of a—I'll call it a kids' book plus. Is that a? a can we invent a new category here, <laughs> Michelle? It just seems like it's like it, I remember, if not.
1: It should be. I really like that. Yes. Well,
0: I think I think about. I, I remember when uh, both of my, I have two daughters as well, uh, who were married in the, over the past several years, and I remember the the whole. There's a phrase that they use for hors d'oeuvres that actually have so much protein that you can actually serve them as a meal. It's kind of that type of thing, like a hors d'oeuvre plus or whatever. Yeah. These, but these books, though, oftentimes I remember having kids thirty something years ago being a new dad and say, okay, we need a kid's book. I'm at the supermarket. There's a kid's book about colors. So I'm just gonna buy that, you know, and that'll be fun. And they get to learn the colors of the rainbow and it's that fun. Or it's got a counting thing or something like that. And we didn't really have a high expectation, did we? I mean, you've been in this industry for a long time. We didn't really have a high expectation of kids books as long as it had really good pictures and, you know, yeah. garbage that was kind of easy to read. And I will admit one of the things I love about my wife is my wife, Lisa, is one of the best at reading kids' books and putting in her own dialogue and her own text because after you've read the book 75 times to the kid, everyone knows what's (laughs) coming, and so you just want to throw them off. But I Love You to the Sun and Beyond is kind of a new genre, isn't it? We talked a little bit about this before the break, but I'd love for you to kind of expand upon how kids' books today aren't like what when we were growing up because they have to have a little more oomph, a little more substance to them as far as the text goes. Yes.
1: Talk you're you're exactly right, and I mean it's not that we don't still enjoy some of those just silly, silly books that make us just giggle, and there's not really any point. Yeah. But um, it it makes you feel better, I think, as a parent yeah. when you have some of these other yeah. little meteor books also in the in the children's library. I it, at least it does for me. I have some of the other ones that are really fun. I know my husband used to really not like to read some of Dr. Seuss's books, even though I loved his books because I loved the rhyme. But because they were so long, <laughs> so they, that, that <laughs> snitches, the Starbelly speeches, went on until the mm-hmm. next evening. We're like, oh, no, don't yeah. use that. We used to hide that book. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, it was a true, true story. But we, uh, as I, I know myself as a children's author and some, some of my colleagues, we've talked quite a bit in recent months about, you know, the importance of just taking that that cuddle up time at night and really using that time with your children to reinforce important truths. And so there's a, right now the kind of the trend in children's publishing is there's a lot more what they call felt need books, which means they are they are actually helping this child deal with whatever it is they're going through. Now I love you. Uh, the one that we're talking about today is I love you to the sun and beyond. And the good thing about that book is you're just reinforcing to your children how very much you love them, and you're giving these crazy, you know, wild comparisons that I, you know I love you grander than the Taj Mahal, and that is really grand. I love you rarer than a precious stone. That's Deep beneath the land and then we talk about more facts about that so that is just a great truth to get into your child how much i love you i just just yesterday actually had a book release uh called fly high which i co-wrote with a grief specialist her name is jan johnson the book is called fly high and it's about um how to deal with grief so it's, right. it's a story about a cardinal family and the mama cardinal dies and and so that you know that's the unthinkable and these this brother and sister watch these little baby birds without their mom But if you know anything about cardinals the daddy cardinal comes in and, and is also very involved in helping raise the children. And so they are able to provide water and suet and food for, for the daddy to be able to feed the little baby birds. And as they are helping, they are getting that renewed sense of hope and, and realize that when the little bit birds fly high and they finally leave the nest, that that's a new beginning. And, and so you see we actually take the children through all these stages of grief um, without saying this is anger, this is bargaining, all those things, but through the story arc they see, that uh, there's still hope. And even though they're sad that somebody they love has died, that they'll see them again someday and that they can have a new beginning and that God is still with them. And so that is not a book that I would have thought to write even 10 years ago. You know, I was still doing fun little prayer books, but now it's needed. Since we came through COVID and there's been so much death and things around us, kids need that assurance. They need to know how how to vocalize how they're feeling. And that little book, Fly High, is helping with that. So that's—I think—it's changed for some of us in the in the industry. We're writing to to meet these needs, and and I'm loving it. I really I love to be able to write things that I know are going to really touch kids' hearts. I like to make kids laugh. There are some yeah. funny uh, pages even in this. I love you to send and beyond, but that isn't my goal. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, I, I I love the fact though that you are addressing that issue of humor. A, a very wise uh, mentor of mine in my uh, youth once told me that uh, she was a huge. Uh, you know, storyteller, joke player, you know, kind of the, that prank type of person. And she always just had a chuckle. And finally, I asked her one time, I said, Donna, why is it that, you know, that this is you know so important to you? And she got really serious. And she said, when you laugh, every muscle in your body relaxes. And I like to think mm-hmm. of the fact that God is tilling the soil of your heart so he can plant seeds of what you need to learn. That's why I like to laugh, because I see somebody with that uptight, you know, look on their face. And think about kids. How much more kids are uh, either taking in the the struggles of the world, mm-hmm. the stresses of the world, or maybe they're just kind of picking up on what mom and dad are dealing with, or maybe grandma or grandpa oh, sure. didn't make it through COVID. And the uh, I know my my grandson's had to deal mm-hmm. with the loss of a grandmother when she was only fifty five. And uh, you know that's I don't mm. think he still fully understood. You know why he doesn't get to see Grandma Jenny that much anymore. But you know that the, the the fact that you're addressing. That type of issue and that type of love and your new book, I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, which we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com is helpful because it really does. I mean, it's fun to play the game. I love you. I love you more and then I love you and all mm-hmm. these superlatives. But there's a core value that's being shown here, and it's really just all about caring and connection. Talk about why the, the method, I don't want to say the method of madness, but the purpose of writing a book like this is so important now more than ever.
1: I, I so agree with that. It is, I think, more important now. And, you know, it, it's interesting when you are at night. Most people read to their children at night. Now sometimes we'll do it on the way to different places if someone else is driving and the kids are in the car. And other, But usually when we think of it, we think of bedtime stories. And that's the time when you have those moments. Maybe it's the only moments of the whole day when you've really had a chance to connect. I, I call those the cuddle-up books, right? You, they, get, they crawl up on your lap or maybe they're in bed and you get next to them in bed and you're quiet and you're cuddling and you're reading that it is the time that I long I I miss I miss that with my girls now they're they're doing this with their own children that was the best part of my day every single day I love that part so much I think that probably all parents feel like that when my grandkids come over now that's the first thing we do is they go to the we have a toy box and there's a section with all the books and they grab them they sit on my lap and and we just laugh and we cuddle and they help make up stories. Sometimes we don't read the actual story. Sometimes they make up <laughs> right, right, right. pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's okay. But it is that it's that connectivity. But the other part is is that even as adults, when we're reading to the kids, that's when all of our um our walls are down. Like we don't have those defenses up. It's just time with our kids and so we can be so real with one another. And I think that is so so important with our children that they that they can just we can all be tender with each other. You know, we're not sometimes as parents we're the disciplinarian and and we're the chauffeur and the, you know, driving back and forth to things. But when you're sitting down just reading with your kids, is, those are the most tender moments, and the ones that you will so long for once they're no longer in the house. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that we have those kinds of books. And I Love You to sun and kind of Beyond is the perfect book to connect that way. And then, you know, teach them a few things along the way. And there are some, like I said, some funny times in there to laugh. We have something about a diaper in it that's pretty funny. <laughs> so, <yeah.
0: laughs> well, you will not want to miss the diaper story. That's for sure among the other uh <laughs> <laughs> great for, for, for pearls of wisdom that you'll find in the brand new book by Michelle Medlock Adams called <laughs> I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Perfect resource for you as a grandparent to further solidify your place as favorite grandparent in the life of your grandkids. And especially if you've got kids as well, it's a good book for parents to read to kids. Uh, Michelle Medlock Adams, thank you for the book. Thank you for the time and uh, continue to keep uh, writing those books that are not necessarily felt need. I mean, that's what the industry might call them, but we can tell that those are you know actual hearts cries that God is using you to uh, fill in those uh, uh, those gaps with uh, the writing and the pictures and everything that you're putting together in these great books thank you for, so much for being with us today you're on the bottom line show Thank you. What a great book, and what a great resource to have available, especially here on Everyone Wednesday today here on The Bottom Line Show, 800-227-5278. We have two copies of this book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond by Michelle Medlock Adams, and uh, we've got uh, the illustration. Well, it's also written by Cecil Stokes as well, and this is a good book to have in your home for thanksgiving if you hustle or christmas if you uh want to have something when the grandkids come over to read to them not not suggest we have i know we have a lot of parents who listen to and parents if you have younger children this is great i'm just figuring who's going to have younger kids in their home it's probably us grandparents lisa and i have four grandchildren and three of them are under the age of are five and under so this is right up our alley but this concept of unconditional love i love you to the sun and beyond This book is by Michelle Medlock Adams, really helps you explain some fun, interesting facts about the world, but it also shows you in a lot of ways, there are a lot of, you know, faith-based books that are very blatant, you know, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The great thing about this resource is it gives you kind of a world tour and then introduces you to the creator of the world and the universe. It also introduces you to the concept of the fact that there are people in this world who will love you Unconditionally, That would be your mom and your dad and your grandparents and your siblings, hopefully. But then it goes beyond that to who loves you even more than that. And that would be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his heavenly Father who sent him to die in place of us for our sins and our sinfulness. And therein lies the rub, the essence of what we are celebrating at during the Advent season, which is God so loving the world that he sent his only begotten son to give his only begotten son to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And the fact that at the Advent season, we look at not only the anticipation of the birth of Christ, the coming Messiah, but we also anticipate his return. So it's kind of a double-pronged approach for us. Michelle Medlock Adams, the book is I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, Two copies to give away here on Everyone Wednesday. And of course, remember, everybody wins something. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break. And when we continue, we're going to take a look at a couple interesting religious liberty cases that are having some positive uh, impact on the community. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues in just a moment.
4: When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Kover puts a clients total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Covery used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well-positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com/slash cover law. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Well, welcome to
0: another Everyone Wins Day here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. That's right, everyone wins on every Wednesday. We've got goods and services. Well, we're not giving away services today. We are giving away goods, though. Books. In this case, if you did not get a chance to hear my conversation, with author Michelle Medlock Adams in the first half hour of the broadcast. Go back to thebottomlineshow.com, and you'll hear it uh, again. Um, She's the author of the book, I Love You to the Sun and Beyond, a great story about teaching kids about the unconditional love of parents for kids and grandparents for kids that kids can have for their parents, and then also the unconditional love that God has for us. We have two copies of that book to give away, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, it's everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is going to win something. We'll take your calls up till the top of the hour on that giveaway. But also know that when you call, if that doesn't necessarily get you through for that one, there are other resources that you can have. You know, kids and protecting the innocence of children is kind of the theme of the hour here on the Bottom Line Show. And I, I, I read about so many stories. I, I hear about what's happening in the in the world. And I think, you know, every time, like, for example, I'm that guy who every time I see someone driving their car too fast in a parking lot or in a residential area, I'm out there shaking my fist going, hey, come on, I am mean, what are you doing here? I mean, there was a case recently, a guy by the name of Robert, uh, Louis Robert Villa, who uh, was racing uh, down the, the street in Costa Mesa. And back in the summer, he crashed into a car um, that was in the car was a guy by the name of Gene Harbrecht, who was a uh, uh, an editor for the Orange County Register newspaper. Um, it, it, kind of a nice ending to the story. Basically, he was... Uh, Via was found of second-degree murder and also several DUI-related charges. They, uh, they couldn't tell. He was racing down the road. Uh, there was a, cha- a charge that perhaps he might have been street racing, but the jury wasn't able to figure out what was going on. Uh, Gene Harbrecht, if you ever read the Orange County Register, you know that he, uh, he had been serving as the national and international editor for the Southern California News Group. Uh, guy loved FC football and Angels baseball, which makes him right up my alley. Um, but he was killed in this crash and Louis Robert Villa is going to be spending some time in prison. Interestingly, Pat Harbrecht, uh, Jean's widow, um, once the sentence was handed down, uh, she literally gave him a, uh, uh a handcuff. Uh, he, he was handcuffed. She came up and she gave him a big hug, gave him a kiss on the cheek. And, uh, he said, you know, I, I've made a lot of poor choices in my life and uh, I can't imagine what is happening here. And, and actually the, uh, um, the judge in the case, Kimberly Menninger, told Mr. Vish she said, I really do appreciate you're actually regretting, you know, what happened here, but you have to understand that all the things you're doing right now, um, with your apologies and you're showing contrition and stuff like that, it isn't going to bring Mr. Harbrick back. And that's why you're going to prison. And I really, really appreciate the judge saying that. I mean, can we take a quick little pause here? Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to restore relationship with you and me. God could not be God if there were no penalty for our sin. In the case here, Louis, uh, Louis Robert Villa committed a crime, committed several crimes, driving under the influence of racing, second-degree murder because he crashed into a car that killed a man. I mean, there are, there are punishments to be paid. And we as, as people here in this life, we completely understand that. We get upset when we see a court verdict handed down like this and 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 say you know well what what if it wasn't enough you know i mean come on a man's dead and his livelihood and the car i may mean, think of stephanie cover of cover law and the, and the cases that she has to deal with where justice isn't always served because it was just two cars that crashed into each other and one insurance company does a better job than the other one of handling a case and and that's why you need a good personal injury attorney in a case like this and stephanie's handled cases like this before If you don't have Stephanie Cover's name and number in your contacts, you need to put it in there. Stephanie with an F, Cover is in cover, 877-214-4935. God forbid your family ever have to go through a situation where you're at a stoplight and a guy comes racing down the road and he loses control and crashes into your car but a former producer of mine, that happened to his sister. She was literally sitting in a stoplight and a guy in a truck came and barreled into her, T-boned her, and hit the car so hard it knocked her literally from one car to the next vehicle. It took them days to properly identify her because she got knocked in the next vehicle. They identified her car, but she wasn't in it, okay? That's why personal injury law is so important. So Stephanie Cover. Stephanie with an F, Covers and Cover, 877 214 4935, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. And if you've got a personal injury problem or case, I implore you to contact my dear friend, who's also a very devout Christian, whose husband is an attorney and a pastor, uh, Stephanie Cover. This case about uh, Robert, uh, excuse me, Louis Robert Via though, is, is so important for us as Christians to understand because. This is a man who committed a crime he went before the judge and the judge said look i'm glad that you regret what you did but you still have to pay the penalty for your crime and how do you measure that i mean 15 years in prison 20 years in prison penalties financially what do you say to the family of the man whose life was taken the fact that the judge said, I appreciate the fact that you regret your sin, but you can't do anything to bring this man's life back. And this is the essence of our faith that I think a lot of modern Christians don't get. They look at a situation like this and they say, well, the poor guy, if he's got a good attorney, maybe they don't have the right evidence. Maybe they misplaced some evidence or or you know something was misspoken, whatever the case may be, and they're looking for a way out of it. But brothers and sisters, we do understand that as sinful fallen people, When we come before the Lord on Judgment Day, the righteous will be judged according to their good deeds, knowing that their sins are forgiven. But the ones who are not made right by God in the death of his son are facing eternal punishment and torment. There's no amount of time they could spend in prison or any kind of prison, in this case, hell for them, that would ever begin to pay back all of the sins committed against God. The only hope we have is that Jesus Christ's blood will wash away our sin, count that sin as paid in full. So now when God looks at us, we call it justified, just as if I had never sinned. This is such a clear picture of that. But how many people don't understand that? They look at the law as something they can kind of uh, work around, You know, something they can kind of take a look at and, and, and say, okay, well, maybe I've got a good attorney. I can pay for him or her a lot of money and they can get me off this, right? There's no way to get around our sin before God. And if we want to have relationship with him, if we want to have fellowship with him, then we have to be free from our sin. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't going to sin. We're still human beings. It means that once we do sin, we can confess our sin and God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from whatever unrighteousness would come as a result of that sin. But the beautiful scene here of this judge embracing this young man saying, I'm glad that you regret what you did. I'm sorry I have to sentence you to prison, but I'm sentencing you to prison anyway. Um, It's just a powerful picture of what real justice looks like. And in our economy and in God's economy, real justice in God's economy says, the only way you can stand before God as a forgiven sinner is if somebody pays the penalty, that sacrifice for you has to be perfect and for me, and that sacrifice is and was and always will be Jesus Christ. All glory, laud and honor to Jesus Christ, our King. Amen, amen. That is definitely good news, and that is the bottom line. Hey, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, there's another story of justice that is worth our consideration and worth our time. Uh, there's a preschool here in Southern California that wound up firing a teacher because the teacher did not want to go along with the so-called woke agenda. Of the school, the Bright Horizons uh, preschool and daycare center, 500 locations in the United States, is now being sued for religious discrimination and harassment and retaliation, because a woman who used to teach at their Studio City location refused to read children's books that promoted either same-sex "quote unquote" marriage or other non-biblical and non-Christian lifestyle issues. Uh, Paul Jonah with uh, LaMandrie and Jonah in San Diego and a member of the Thomas More Society is the legal representative for the woman in question. He's standing by and ready to discuss the case with me on the other side of this break. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today. Wilson Financial Services, honoring God and their clients by stewarding their money well. 800-696-9970.
5: Just reviewed a client who put money into 3D alternative versus leaving it in a bank. The results are in and they're fun. Savon Report, Bank Zero, God's Kingdom, two churches in Africa. I often wonder why God's people don't do a better job with stewarding God's money. And I personally think one of them is that they've never been told how or why they should be doing it. Maybe they never heard it's God's money and we're only to be the good stewards of it. But just for fun, this turned out bank zero, God's kingdom, two churches in Africa. This isn't your money. This is God's money. And we want to show you how to be the best possible steward you can be. Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970
0: or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Well, special guest for a special conversation today here on the Bottom Line Show involving a legal case where a California teacher was fired for exercising her religious beliefs. Now she is suing her former employer, a very large international child care program. They've got 500 locations all throughout the United States. She is suing for religious discrimination. What exactly does she have going for her and uh, how is it that uh, uh, we're, we're going to see any sort of justice being served. Joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show is Paul Jonah, who's a partner with LaMandria and Jonah LLP and working as special counsel for the Thomas More Society, uh, handling this case, and we've got a link for all the particular stuff at TheBottomLineShow.com. Paul Jonah, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
2: Great to be with you. Thanks, Roger.
0: This is a huge one, especially for uh, the the teacher involved at the Bright Horizons Children's Center in Studio City, who basically was in a situation where her legal rights, but also her deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs were challenged. And when she said, I'm not going to engage in this type of activity, uh, they didn't give her a pass. They basically gave her a pink slip, kind of fill in the gaps for us, if you will.
2: Sure. So this is a a pretty egregious fact pattern. Unfortunately, in California, we get requests all the time. We can't really keep up with them uh, in terms of religious liberty cases. And this is one we're doing with the Thomas More Society, but we got a call from a from a, uh, a very sweet uh, lady named Nellie Par- Parasinkova, and she worked for four years at Bright Horizons as a as a uh, daycare teacher for ch- very small children, ages one to five. And um, you know, she would basically one of the things she'd be asked to do sometimes is read book to kit to the kids, and she was happy to do that. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, though, Bright Horizons was using their position uh, to promote a, the ideology, uh, the, the gender ideology and LGBT ideology. And so they, on the shelf, always had a number of books that were promoting same-sex marriage. Some of them were called Dad, Daddy and Me, Mom, Mommy and Me, the kind of books that a devout Christian would be horrified to, to not only have to you know, read, but to read to little kids. Right. And so... She asked her supervisor at the time, you know, look, I'm a devout Christian. I can't read these. Is it okay if I, if a kid hands me one of those books, if I distract them and read a different book? Because the kids don't know at that right. age what books. They just grab a book and ask her to read it. So the, the supervisor at the time said, sure, that's fine. And then, a, you know, that worked for a little while. And then a few years later, there happened to be one particular day where it was pretty hot and earlier this year, and all the kids were inside, and there were a number of books. I think she said there were 12 books on the shelf. And five of them were books like this, promoting oh same-sex marriage. And so she said, I, I don't think I'd like, to, I'd like to remove the books from the shelves today just so I don't have to be kind of pressured to read them. Is that okay? And the supervisor said, yes, that's fine. And then somehow the, the lead supervisor found out, and this lady is a lady named Katie Callis, who is a uh, lesbian, and she was not happy with that. She called Nellie into her office and um And, you know, interrogated her without actually asking for her side, just kind of saying, basically, if you can't celebrate diversity, you're not welcome at Bright Horizons. And so Mm. what do you want to do? She told her. So Nellie said, can I take a few minutes? Can I have some time to think about this? And so she went on her lunch break. And, you know, obviously Nellie explained to her, and I think the supervisor knew why she wasn't willing to read these books. but, um, But during her lunch break, the supervisor came back and basically said, time's up. You you know, if you're not going to celebrate diversity with us, then we need you out of here. And it's literally that day kicked her out on the streets in the scorching heat. She had no transportation that day and uh, was fired because she wouldn't read those books. And obviously uh, there were plenty of other teachers and employees happy and willing to read the books, but they weren't satisfied unless Nellie, personally, the devout Christian, again, would read the book. That was what this came down to.
0: Paul Jonah with uh, Lamandry and Jonah and the Thomas Moore Society with me today here on The Bottom Line, and we're talking about the case involving uh, Nellie Perenskova, who's the uh, former teacher at Bright Horizons Children's Center in Studio City, uh, one of 500 locations that they have. And the way this escalated Paul, it's just so interesting. I mean, it, it, I, I would imagine that if she weren't a Christian, the uh, supervisor initially who gave her the pass uh, was at least sympathetic to the fact that, you know, we're talking about uh, deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs. But you made a, a comment that was just, it kind of sent a chill through my spine. And I w- I'd love you to kind of circle back around to this if you would. When the lead supervisor at Bright Horizons asked Nellie, basically, you're going to either uh, be a part of this or not. She basically demanded, it sounds like, that Nellie not only acknowledge the books and acknowledge same-sex parenting, but that she celebrate it as well. Did I did I hear you correctly when you shared that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, they, mm. they want their employees. And if you look on their website, you can tell Bright Horizons is, you know, I guess about as woke and, and um, hmm. it, you know, out there as they get. So they're pushing this agenda. So I don't know if a lot of parents who send their kids there know that. Maybe a lot of them do, but I'm sure a lot don't. But, no, they don't want you just to be, you know, okay with things. Same- they want you to celebrate it. They want you to promote it. They want you to push it and shove it down these little kids' throats. And Nellie says that the, some of the kids, a lot of them actually, are under one. These are little toddlers, little, little, mm. tiny babies that they want conditioned and programmed from an early age. And that's pretty devious. But beyond that, they want to force their employees to read these books when there's no reason why Nellie – has to be the one reading the book. There's other people there if they really want. Sure. I mean, she can keep her job there and and have other people do it, but no, they want to force everybody to celebrate their agenda, and they can't get away with that. Fortunately, the law is such that people of faith don't have to abandon their faith to keep a job. Even in California, the employers are required to make an accommodation, a reasonable accommodation, as long as it doesn't pose an undue burden on them.
4: And in this case,
2: it's a very straightforward and logical accommodation to have someone else read those books if they have to be read. Um, it poses no burden on them, and it accommodates the person of face. Instead, they terminated her employment. They terminated her employment benefits. They escorted her out of the building with a security guard, and they literally mm-hmm. threw her out of the building. They treated her like a criminal. So yeah. the fact pattern yeah. was particularly egregious, and we had to get involved and help her.
0: So, what specifically are you doing? Where's the co- Where's the case right now? I mean, it, it looks like there are multiple charges against this woman, um, and it believe that uh, you have, you know, likewise, have responded to many of those with your charges of your own.
2: So, we're playing offense in this case. We are suing Bright Horizons, <clears throat> the Thomas More Society, based in Chicago. We we defend people of faith, but we also we you know play defense. But we also file a lot of lawsuits, and and um, this one is a a complaint filed in Los Angeles Superior Court uh, for religious discrimination, wrongful termination in violation of public policy, harassment, failure to prevent discrimination and harassment, and retaliation, and constructive discharge. So we have lots of claims. It's a pretty rock-solid complaint. We anticipate this is not a case that will settle. Um, We don't think Bright Horizons has any desire to sort of um, comply with the law, so I think we're going to have to uh, force their compliance through some kind of jury award or court order. But our plan is to prosecute this case all the way through trial, and, and if on if necessary, on appeal, and vindicate uh, Nellie Parasinkova's rights.
0: Paul Jonah is with me today here on The Bottom Line, special counsel with the Thomas More Society through his own law firm, Lamandrian & Jonah, here in the uh, uh, Southern California area. We've got the case for the Parasinkaba. Parasitkova case against Bright uh, Horizons Child Care Center up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Paul, we've got a couple minutes left. What are the next steps? You guys just filed a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is probably going to take a long time to, I would imagine, do discovery and litigation and things of that nature. How confident are you that, I mean, you know she's got a good case, but this is a, uh, a daycare center that has the weight of 500 affiliates all across the coast, uh, coast to coast anyway. How confident are you that you'll prevail
4: in court?
2: So the next steps are we filed the case, we served the defendants, they have to respond to the complaint, uh, anticipate there'll be, you know, extensive discovery, we'll be taking depositions, get these people under oath, prepare the case for trial. Um, we are not in any way afraid of a, of a fight. I mean, we've been up against the biggest firms and the biggest government entities, and, and by the grace of God, have um, you know, we, we are very careful with the cases we select. And uh, we have a team of very smart lawyers, but obviously um, we rely on God and we have faith and trust that you know, we'll uh, prevail in this case as we have in many other similar very um, high-profile cases. Actually, I was thinking about our track record against the state of
0: mm-hmm.
2: California we were talking about earlier, and uh, undefeated against them. Nice. These large corporations with big firms, we've been up against the biggest firms. and When you're right on the law and the facts, um, you know, you, that that's really the key as long as you have a strong legal team and we do Amen. so. Amen. Yeah. Well,
0: it's great It's great that you're doing God's work uh, for the kingdom and, and not in a punitive and punishing and we're going to show you how obnoxious and unloving and caring we are as Christians but rather quite the opposite, saying, look, this is a woman who's dedicated her life to this kind of service, who's very willing to uh, you know, not say, take all the books down, but you know, just I don't want to have to read from those and as the a director of the center, obviously became more blatant in her desire to force uh, this Christian woman to celebrate that kind of quote-unquote diversity. Uh, now there's a legal remedy that we're anticipating uh, God will allow you to employ through the court system, and I'm grateful that you're actually doing it. Paul Jonah with LaMandria Jonah and the part of the Thomas More Society. We've got a link for this case up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Paul, thanks for your time today and for the great work you continue to do, to do. and uh, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Our Line. pleasure. Thanks, Roger. Always good to catch up with Paul Jonah and our good friends at the Thomas Moore Society. We've got this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's important to protect young people from the dangers of the LGBTQ community. And I know there are a lot of people who say, what do you mean dangers? On the other side of this break, we're gonna take a look at another lawsuit that's being filed about, this is with regarding the transgender ideologies that are being pushed on kids as young as four, five, six years of age. A young woman who tried to transition to become a young man is now 18 years of age. She has detransitioned, if you will. She's going back to being a woman and she's filing a lawsuit against all the medical people who told her that she could become a boy. We're going to talk about why this lawsuit has tremendous merit coming up next. The bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's everyone Wednesday, by the way, 800-227-5278. Still taking your calls for another couple of minutes. If you'd like to get in the drawing to win a copy, one of the two copies we're giving away of the outstanding children's book by Michelle Medlock Adams called I Love You to the Sun and Beyond. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We've got a couple of copies of that book and other books as well and DVDs and videos as well and uh, another book coming up in the next half hour. So if you don't get a chance to win this one, everybody's going to win something today. Uh, Chloe Cole is now 18 years of age. She is a young woman who during her high school years basically was, she says... uh, When she was nine years of age, she started struggling with gender identity. She told her parents she wanted to change her gender when she was 12 years old, and her parents, quite frankly, said they didn't know what to do, so they sought professional help, which is a good thing to do. But when she went to the doctors that she went to between the ages of 13 and 17, instead of trying to talk her out of it or do what psychiatrists used to do. And people said, I think I want to change genders. They would spend years saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And running tests. Instead, Chloe Cole says between the ages of 13 and 17, she underwent what she called radical off-label, inadequately studied courses of chemical and surgical treatment, including puberty blockers, cross-sex hormone treatments, and a double mastectomy. As she reached adulthood, she perceived that her gender dysphoria resolved itself. She had these feelings when she was nine. They got a little more pronounced when she was going through puberty. But when she hit 18, she said, wait, I don't want this. And by the time she had done that, she said she now has huge regrets about undergoing what she calls experimental and irreversible medical treatment. She said, look, as an adult, I will never be able to breastfeed whatever children I may be able to have. I don't even know if I can because I was put on puberty blockers and testosterone when I was 13. I don't know if I'll able, ever be able to conceive a child naturally. And then she says, look, I made an adult decision when I was just a child. And I believe this is happening to kids all over the country. So our friends at LeMandry and Jonah are handling this case as well. We'll keep you up to date on what's happening here. But, you know, it's incredible to think that this, would, this kind of stuff would be happening in the name of medical science, in the name of political correctness. And yet, as you see how we have transitioned in this hour, first talking about the, uh, the issue of the young man and forgiveness of sin with the car racing, when you think about the young people who are being forced into and coerced into transitioning uh, from one gender to the next, making adult decisions based on some rather uh, human emotions. And then finally, this concept here of this young woman who, as a girl, she said, I feel like I want to be a boy. There's so much societal and media pressure to do so. And so she goes to medical professionals for guidance. Her parents said, we don't know what to do. We'll trust the doctors. And the doctors perform what she calls unnecessary and irreversible medical procedures and treatments. She wants her femininity back. She wants her gender back. And she's suing and willing to sue these doctors to do so. It is our job, as she was giving her press conference in front of Kaiser and saying, announcing whom she was going to sue, she said, look, I think we need to protect children's innocence. And I wholeheartedly agree. This is one area where the church can stand up and say amen and be counted. This is one place where the community of believers can come together as well and do so. Well, you can read more about this case up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, for our KCBC audience, it's time for you to head on over to uh, uh Discovering the Jewish Jesus with Rabbi Schneider, but don't forget to catch the Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 p.m. For those who remain, now that church membership has been kind of disrupted mightily because of the pandemic, do we really need church membership and church discipline and things of that nature? Uh, Dr. Jeremy Kimball is going to join me on the other side of this break, professor of theology and director for Center for Biblical Integration at Cedarville University. We're going to discuss his exploration into church membership and discipline and the book that he wrote as a result. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Over the weekend, I did a little math, and I want to thank you as a bottom-line listener for the way that you have stepped up to help our friends at Preborn save babies' lives. Now, when we started this campaign back in the first part of October, our goal was to save 400 children by Christmas Day. And you have stepped up in a huge way. But I didn't think that we would also have the opportunity to provide that kind of sponsorship and put an ultrasound machine in. An ultrasound machine lasts about 10 years. It provides 250 ultrasounds per year, which means it's going to save about 2,500 babies' lives over the course of that 10-year period. Ultrasound machine costs $15,000. So far, because of your generosity, you've helped us raise enough money to place an ultrasound machine in a pre-born clinic and have provided ultrasounds for 229 kids. We're about 171 away from that stated goal, and I know we can do it. Can you give a $280 donation right now to save 10 more babies' lives? Eight three three eight five zero. Baby is the number to call, or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Go to thebottomlineshow.com. Go to rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner. It takes about thirty seconds to save the life of a baby. Go to preborn and. Save babies' lives today. Nowadays, people are looking at the church with a bit more suspicion and wondering about, you know, what does it actually mean? Why does church membership uh, play such a big role in the lives of other people? Dr. Jeremy Kimball has written a book called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline. It's part of a 40 Questions and Answers series, and the book is just now out. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Kimball is the Interim Director of the Center for Biblical Integration and the Assistant Professor of Theology at Cedarville University. Jeremy Kimball, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today.
6: Thanks for having me, Roger. Appreciate it.
0: Why does a guy your age care about church membership? <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's a good question to start yeah, off okay. with. Yeah. I, I think I think for me, one of the big um, points of, of thought for me has been serving as a pastor. So mm-hmm. I, I became a uh, student pastor when I was 22 years old wow. and uh, was immersed in the, the life of the church right out of college and uh, served in pastoral ministry for about eight, eight years. And I, I think for me... The issue of, of commitment, the issue of overseeing one another, loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, and being committed to a body of believers caught on early for me, uh, even in my younger years as well as a church member, you know, younger in my teenage and, and college years. But I felt like for me, just in my studies and in my pastoral life, it was an issue that was oftentimes assumed and not always talked about in great detail, and I think as that's gone on, with an assumption there's also been a decline in interest in that mm-hmm. topic.
0: Yeah, there sh- well, there certainly has been, I mean, not just anecdotally, but uh, what I've seen in observing what's happening in the culture around, but also in my role in uh, pastoral ministry as well, is to see how difficult it seems to be for some pastors to try to get people to join churches, and yet, especially in the evangelical community, it's like, well, we're all part of the body of Christ, so as long as you're a baptized believer, who cares? Where You know, if, you're, if your name's on the roster, you know, that type of stuff. It's it really is. It's interesting. Talk about the shift that you've seen in the way this has happened, Because my generation, it was just a, you, you found a church, you became a member. That's your your way of showing commitment. And then they gave you your offering envelopes and you know the, everything else that goes along with church yeah. membership, I guess. But now right, you've got yeah. you've got people who are young and younger now who are very vibrant and thriving in their faith, but they're saying church ministry, why?
6: Sure, and I think I think part of that could be true to cultural trends as well. I think there is a uh, greater degree of skepticism that's aimed toward institutions as a whole. Uh, that's very generalizing, but it seems that is more the case culturally today than it was in 20, 30, 40 years ago. So with that, also included is this thing called local church. And I think a lot of people have the notion of, well, I, I attend, I go on a fairly regular basis, So, so what else is there? Yeah. And uh, I was just trying to help understand there, there is more, and there is a call to commitment in the local church to, to look at this and to say, okay, it's not just some okay, mandatory thing, it's not just something that I can choose as an option. It is a beautiful, biblical uh, a way of living a life that is compelling and helpful to our growth in Christ likeness.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Jeremy Kimball with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Kimball is the interim director of Center for Biblical Integration and also an assistant professor of theology at Cedarville University. He's the author of a brand-new book called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, and we've got the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The questions are very straightforward i just want to dwell on a couple if i can during this uh sure. conversation here too um there are some people who would you know say okay well church membership what exactly am i joining am i joining an organization am i joining you know a denomination that type of thing i mean how do you answer the question what exactly is a church in the first place
6: yeah uh that's a good question as well uh the church As a whole, the New Testament refers to the Church as both what we would call a universal and a local kind of reality. So if someone were to say uh, the universal Church, that would be referring to all Christians throughout history, throughout the world. Right? It's, it's, it's we are as, as this one conglomerate universal church as believers in Jesus Christ. But the main focus of the New Testament is on what's called local churches, which is churches in particular communities made up of people who have uh, committed their, themselves to one another to fulfill what the, the New Testament calls, what we call, one another commands. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, etc. And we can't do that for every person on the planet. We can only do that for a certain localized group of people, and so that's what... The focuses in the New Testament in terms of local churches and how they're established in that way.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a that's a wonderfully uh, comprehensive answer <laughs> to a very challenging question. You've really boiled it down to some uh, some very salient points in a short period of time. So, uh, gold star for Dr. Jeremy Kimball today here you know, on the Bottom Line Show. That's not easy to do. I'm trying. I you know you've got 40 questions. Uh, you know here that that I think are good. I mean you divide the book pretty evenly between questions about the church, you know, membership and and, and questions about what the church does, especially as it pertains to discipline, because there are a lot of misconceptions about that. I'm going to stick with the... Uh, oh, yes. Uh, let's stick with the church questions here for the first part. I feel like we're in jeopardy now. Let's take church questions for 200. Um, okay. how about, <laughs> when it, When it comes to church membership, Um, there are some people who say, well, okay, I'm a Christian, and I go to a church, and we, you know, there's baptism for new believers, there's, you know, the the sacraments, there's, you know, communion, that type of stuff. How does church membership play a role in that? I mean, can't a church—somebody just show up and attend a church on a regular basis and say, I was baptized at this church, I take communion, so why do I need to be a member? How do you answer that one?
6: Yeah, that's probably the most typical question I get is is— you know, is it really biblical, and, and do I have to join as a member? Is it really that important of an idea? So I try to use a couple of examples to make this more clear, hopefully. One is just for church leaders, thinking of pastors. So in, in texts like Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, um, we, pastors are told there to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen it says that pastors will give an account for those that they oversee in their churches. So that indicates to me, a pastor is not pastoring everyone on planet Earth. They're pastoring a specific group of people who have covenanted to say, yes, I want to join this church, be in membership here, mm-hmm. and submit to you as my leader, as my pastor, and be overseen and oversee others in their discipleship. That, that's one level, I guess I'd say, on the pastoral level. Okay. The other is, is saying through the Hebrews 3 idea of exhorting one another day after day as long as it's called today so that we're not hardened by sin deceitfulness. Mm. And again, I mean, we, we nowadays have technology with, with FaceTime and, and Skype and phones and all these means, but, but really in my life there are certain people that go to my local church who do that for me on a regular basis. Mm. They're members, we're committed to this together to oversee each other's discipleship and grow in those ways. So just practically you would say, well, it's good that you're baptized here, it's good to take the Lord's Supper here, but this is a, it's a formal commitment to say we are encouraged one another day after day to grow in our discipleship.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, very, very succinct answer from a, a wise scholar, Dr. Jeremy Kimball, with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline. The book is up at the TheBottomLineShow.com, and I'm thinking pastors right now. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to get a couple copies for our pastoral team, too, because this is a question that a lot of pastors ask, you know, what about church membership, what about discipline? You know, we, we are part of a denominational church, so there's, you know, certain rules and regulations, but also, what does Scripture say about all this? Um, Jeremy, what do you think about uh, someone who's saying, okay, I'd like to join a church, but I'm not quite sure which church I should join. I mean, should I join the church that I have just been going to for a while because I like it, or I mean, what, what's kind of a, a biblical guideline for the kind of church that we should be joining?
6: It's, that's an excellent question, and a lot of people ask that question, and there's need for solid answers here. So I'll take a stab at it for what it's worth. It. I think that the, the top answer you're going to be looking for is, is this Church committed to what, what a lot of people call um, expositional preaching? Is a Church that's going to preach the truth of the Bible week after week? Um, you get a lot of churches that, that preach opinions, that preach maybe maybe politics. Um, you want a church that's going to preach that truth of the Word of God each week. You want a church that is committed to uh, the realities of the gospel and conversion and are very clear what those things are. Um, you want them to be able to articulate who is Jesus Christ, what has he done, what difference does that make for our lives. You, you want to find a church, with that being said, that is hopefully on mission, mm-hmm. right, That is that is able to be... Uh, looking at mission both locally and globally to say how can we fulfill what's called the, the Great Commission to make disciples of Jesus Christ in our community and in our world. How are we involved and invested in that? Um, you want a church, you know, we can go on with a lot of things, but that praise, that, that I, th- I think does take membership and discipline seriously, um, that is, is uh, seeking to train up their people. To be ministered, not just to be ministered to, uh, and obviously as well. I mean, one that you should say is that you want to be able to look at it and say, I agree convictionally with the doctrine of this church, mm-hmm. which would imply that we we know doctrinally what we believe. We look at the church's statement of faith and we say, I see alignment here. I affirm these things, and I can join up with their their standards of faith.
5: Mm.
0: That that's helpful, and understanding, of course, that you're you're putting a lot of responsibility on the church parishioner as well as on the church itself in terms of saying you have to know what you're looking for as opposed to just saying I'll just kind of feel good about it, which is I, that may be one of the bigger challenges the churches are facing right now is that that kind of feelings over faith uh, as opposed to you know what maybe a different generation you know said I've got a responsibility, I've got to be a good Berean, I've got to know why I believe what I believe. And then I know right. what I'm looking for when I go to a church. It, it seems like maybe the pendulum has swung back in the other direction to where yep. more more people now are saying, I identify as a Christian, but I, you know, it's all because the band's awesome, because the pastor's wife is really nice. Yeah. Any, any of those different, you know, accoutrements there. Yeah,
6: and, and I get to and it's a privilege, I get to minister to college students week in and week out where I teach at Cedarville. And uh, it's awesome, I love it, and I'm trying to encourage these students all the time to think beyond, what does the church do for me? You know, will they have good kids' ministry, student ministry, music, all this stuff, and to think, am I aligning convictionally and doctrinally with this church? Are they preaching the truth of the Word of God, and how can I serve them? Hmm. And if we can help a generation that's at least coming here to our, our, our institution here to embrace that... that's a win in my book.
0: Okay. Well, this is an encouraging resource. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Kimball with me today here on The Bottom Line. Forty questions about uh, church membership and discipline. We've got a link up at TheBottomLineShow.com. We've been talking a lot about the whole membership side of the equation. What about the discipline side of the equation, too? That's just as important here, and there's some biblical mandates that we can take a look at that Dr. Jeremy Kimball identifies in his book. We're talking about church membership and discipline today here on The Bottom Line. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today at 800 696 Nine seventy eight hundred six nine six ninety nine seventy.
5: I get this comment a couple times a week. You know, should I stay in the market or should I get out? If you like the results of the last two years, stay in. If not, then we've got some great solutions to help you stop the bleeding, put the stitches in, and then go from there. I personally think that the current administration is going to continue the roller coaster of the market, and it's going to be especially hard for those who are living on a fixed income or nearing retirement. It's leading us down the road to where. The huge majority of people who are studying what's going on think that a recession is almost here. And so with this administration we have, I would recommend you get away and stay away.
0: Protect your resources in retirement with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970. That's 800-696-9970. Or fill out the contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial. Dr. Jeremy Kimball with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Kimball is the Interim Director of Center for Biblical Integration and also an Assistant Professor of Theology at Cedarville University. He's the author of a brand-new book called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, and we've got the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How do we—a lot of people kind of compartmentalize their faith and say, that's what I do when I'm at that space on Sunday for a couple hours or Wednesday, but the rest of the world is, you know, I, I don't see the need for a biblical integration. It's, it's good work that you're doing there at Cedarville.
6: Yeah, it is absolutely needed, and I am really privileged to be with a faculty here that takes seriously how do we uh, raise up pharmacists and nurses and engineers and journalists and educators and whatever else to do that kind of line of work Christianly, and to think through how a Christian will be impacted those areas of vocation.
0: You're also dealing with college students, though, Jeremy, that are coming to you and saying, you know, uh, we were talking during the break about this. It's like, okay, I get it. I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and my family all goes to church. As a matter of fact, we might have gone to the same church for 10, 15 years and never yeah, really right. thought about never really thought about membership because everybody just assumes, well, I see the Johnsons there every weekend, so they're a member of the church, right? Now, there, but you're really deliberate in terms of saying, hey, look, there's a need for you to say, I'm going to commit to this. I mean, I want to make this official, if you will. Talk, talk about why there is a need and how that's such a big challenge today to get American Christians especially to say, why do I need to join?
6: Yeah, I think it's a challenge on, on two fronts, honestly, what you just mentioned, but also those who actually are members but who aren't seeing it the way that I think we, sh- we should be seeing it. So on both of those fronts, I want to say the way that I've heard, it's been helpful. I think Jonathan Lehman is one author of, I've read who's uh, defined it helpfully this way, but uh, membership is a commitment to overseeing and being overseen in your discipleship. Mm. And I think one of the biggest hindrances to church membership is individualism. Mm -hmm. Right, the idea that like, I'm fine on my own, I'm doing my own thing, I'm responsible for me, don't draw me into this whole community thing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we are missing the community aspect of our lives that the Bible is constantly drawing us toward. And so I want to say to those, like, well, I've been there, I've done this, and say, okay, you've been there, but is there a kind of commitment that is there wherein you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus and so are you, let's work to oversee one another's discipleship, which means we know each other's lives, we're in each other's lives, we're aware of our strengths and our weaknesses, we exhort each other, we encourage, we correct and rebuke at times that's where it gets, I think, difficult, but that's the vision I think we need to have more and more in our churches.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Dr. Jeremy Kimball today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline. The book is up at the thebottomlineshow.com. We haven't talked about discipline all that much because we're in a we're in a culture that's rather averse to discipline, right? I mean, it's like I, if I want to do it, I want to do it. But if if you want if you want to hold me accountable, yeah, hey, you no one tells me what to do. And then, unfortunately, I think that attitude has kind of uh, moved into the church as well. You have a quote, and I want to share it with you, and then have you react to it. Uh, as okay. counterintuitive as this sounds, discipline is a proper demonstration of the biblical concept of love. Talk about that.
6: Yeah. Well, I, I think in many ways in our day and age, love is equated with tolerance. If, if you love me, then whatever beliefs I have, lifestyle I espouse, you, you will tolerate this, and you will accept this as being okay. That's okay for you. This is okay for me. That's love. And the Bible um, presses back on that vision of love and says, well, in actuality, there, there's more to love than just that. So there, there's a... Idea. I think it's, it's really key in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, but to say that love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. That, that's a way I think of love, that it's the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. So the biggest need, then, we got to say, okay, what's the biggest need that I have? And I would say the biggest need we have is, Romans eight twenty nine, 29, being conformed to the image of Jesus... Mm-hmm. And so then we have to ask the question, like, so how do I get conformed to the image of Jesus? And there's a number of ways. But I ask my students all the time in class, how many of you guys are most shaped and become the most like Jesus in the easy, sunny times of life? And I've yet to see one student raise their hand in all my classes, because mm. everyone knows, you know what, it's in the difficult times. It's in the times where Hebrews 12 says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Right. That we grow as children with our parents correcting us, we grow through that disciplinary process. So, in the same way, God has given a, a mediated authority to the church. At times, with humility and love, to discipline for the sake of the growth of his people.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Dr. Jeremy Kimball today here on the Bottom Line. He's the author of the book "40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline." I know that sounds like a kind of a just a straight ahead uh, title. I mean, there's not nothing really glamorous about it, but I realize that this is a question that a lot of churches dance around. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, wh- what does it mean to be a good church member? How do churches discipline well? And Jeremy, before the uh, in the first segment, you were talking about. What we as Christians should be looking for in terms of a healthy church, the kind of church that we want to become members of, but this is probably a big one too: is how does the church discipline those who are in error? You know, not with a super heavy, authoritative. The pastor doesn't like you, so we're going to, you know, go all Matthew eighteen on you. But at the same time, right? It's like, but at the same time, it's is that done with love and humility, and really living out Matthew eighteen? You know, really doing it biblically.
6: Yes, and, and, and you're correct. Church discipline can be done horribly. Right? Just to be very blunt, it can be done in a very bad, very unbiblical fashion. But in the same token, you do have to read texts like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3, which clearly indicate the call to, if necessary, if there's ongoing unrepentant sin, uh, this process has gone through to, to work with that person, to call them to repentance. And if that goes on and on, there is a final step Jesus calls us toward to, Um, to take away the the reality of church membership from that person and to um, put them outside of church membership, but always with the hopes This is the important thing. Mm -hmm. Always with the hope of reconciliation based on their repentance. Mm -hmm. That's always the aim. The aim is not vindictiveness. The aim is not to be uh, mean-spirited. There is a prayerful, humble, tear-filled way to approach discipline that, while still difficult, is the right path to pursue, I think. Mm.
0: Dr. Jeremy Kimball making us uh, think a lot about our Church membership, our Church affiliations today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, which we have up at the show.com. Jeremy, uh, uh, this is a, a really broad question. It's bad radio, but hopefully it's good ministry. Um, <laughs> to ask you a question like this, when I think about the issue of Church discipline, I can see a couple different reasons why it does or doesn't happen. Maybe it doesn't happen because the Church is so big, they're not even paying attention to you know something like this yeah. happening, and they can't really get their finger on it. Another reason, too, I would suspect it doesn't happen, quite frankly, is Church leadership is hoping that the problem will go away before they have to address it. I mean, are either of those common scenarios in terms of why Church discipline doesn't happen these days?
6: Yes. I mean, yes, absolutely. So the latter one, really quick, just in terms of avoidance, I, I don't know, there, there's some of us, but not many of us, enjoy confrontation
5: amen.
6: whether you're a pastor or a layperson because Matthew 18 is clear it's not just for pastors it, it, this is for church members to say of one another there's an offense that's been given and I want to seek to correct this person's humility um, Matthew 7 also addresses that idea as well so we're all averse I think in some ways to confrontation but there is a need regulation right? 6 talks about this this is a pervasive idea in the Bible to again humbly and lovingly Seek to correct one another with with the openness in our own lives to be corrected as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a culture that has to be built over time in a church. I think that just takes time and patience and and a real genuine love for one another. The the former scenario you, you raised, just in terms of mega churches and people we get lost in the shuffle and we aren't aware of these things that are going on. Um, I'll, I'll maybe just put out a uh, unpopular or not. Often thought of, kind of idea there is that maybe we should think through the size of our churches as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. People, when I ask that question, say, well, no, like a 5,000 person church is a great thing. And I'm like, well, if discipline is one of those things that we really need to do and that does in some way hinder, you could do it and be effective. But if it is hindering, we want to ask, is there a way to plant some churches mm-hmm, okay. uh, in our community, in our area, that would allow for that to occur on a, on a better level, a more effective level for the growth of the saints? Because at the end of the day, Ephesians 4 is what has to happen, right? Is that we grow up into maturity in Christ, the body grows into maturity. That's, that's what we're after. So if that can be had in a megachurch, excellent. If there's need for smaller churches that could be planted from that to achieve that more effectively, that could be good as well.
0: Hmm. Such, such good information in this book, and if you're a pastor, and again, I'm selling like I'm selling a book salesman here. I'm not trying to sell the book. I mean, the book sells itself, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, this book that uh, Dr. Jeremy Kimball has written, uh, 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, it's, it's just chock-full of... Helpful resources, because these are the kinds of questions I can guarantee you that either church laity, you know, people who attend congregations, are saying, okay, I'm asking this question because it's kind of been nagging me. The pastor keeps asking me about joining the church, and I keep asking back, well, why do I have to? Well, this this book has the resources. Or if you're on a church council, you're part of an executive board, elders or deacons, and you're looking at this and saying... Well, how do we handle some of these things that, you know, this is a good gut check, if you will, to find out whether or not you are, uh, you know, operating biblically. And I appreciate Dr. Jeremy Kimball for taking the time not only to do this, but also, too, for one who is working with college students who uh, looks like a relatively—you could tell me you're in your 50s. I wouldn't believe it. I mean, I realize you have an earned doctorate, but, I mean, you strike me as more in your mid-30s. That's actually? correct. Yes, yeah, okay, that's okay. right. <laughs> right. So, all the more reason to look at this because here's a millennial looking at this and saying, "Hey, if anybody knows about you know uh, an aversion to joining groups or mistrusting institutions, it's the millennial generation here in the U.S." And so, who better than a millennial voice like Dr. Jeremy Kimball to actually uh, put this work together and 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 do the work? 60 seconds, uh, Jeremy. What what is your hope for not only this project but where the church is right now? Here?
6: Man, my my hope for the church is that we would. Preach biblical truth that we would be committed to one another, uh, oversight of discipleship uh, for the sake of growth and maturity in Christ's likeness, and then that we wouldn't just stay inward, we'd take that outward and go to uh, our communities and the nations, so that by that process of reverberation of the word being preached and heralded and then received by a people to go out, that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language would worship King Jesus. Mm. That's, that's the vision I would love to see happen.
0: I love it, I love it, and I'm grateful that I want to see that fulfilled as well, too. Dr. Jeremy Kimball, Assistant Professor of Theology at Cedarville University, also the Interim Director of their Center for Biblical Integration there, Uh, thank you for writing this book. Uh, I know that it sounds kind of meat and potatoes to a lot of folks in terms of the title, 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, but I think it's a very timely book for all generations, especially right now. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today here on The Bottom Line. Thanks, Roger, it's a pleasure. Well, those are good questions to revisit, and especially now as the local church has gone through quite a bit over the past couple of years. And when Dr. Jeremy Kimball and I had this first conversation when the book first came out, we could not have anticipated that there would be the church shutdowns and the legal challenges and the health issues and a, a real paradigm shift in the way the church, quote unquote, does business. But this book, 40 Questions About Church Membership and Discipline, is probably more relevant now than it was when it first came out, and uh, that's why we've got a couple of copies of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line I mentioned, too. We only have one, sorry. Uh, But, you know, it is everyone Wednesday, and people have been calling and winning stuff all the time, so I hope that you will benefit from this as well. Um, Think about this. A lot of people have looked at church membership as something that was somewhat optional. You know, uh, the evangelical church in particular really made a big deal out of saying, "Well, we don't care if you join the church um, because it's a matter just being a Christian and being a part of a body of believers." And church membership really isn't essential. And then other churches make such a huge deal out of it um, in terms of membership classes. And I was I was surprised when working in pastoral ministry at Lutheran Church of the Crossford 30 years, well, member, and then eventually pastoral ministry, how many people would come to our church, they'd want to transfer in, and they'd ask when the membership classes were, and I'd say, well, the class happens about two, three times a year, and it's really just an informal gathering, where people sit down and get to meet the pastors, and just kind of, you kind of find out about your journey. The idea was more about becoming a member, and membership was important, but knowing that you would grow in your faith along the faith journey. And I think, you know, we could go too hard and say, one couple came and they said it was an eight week class with a written test that you had to pass to actually become a member of the church they were just at. And other churches where it's just like you can go to a church for years and not know anyone. I still think of my mom uh, back at a church we were part of years and years ago when I was younger. And uh, a woman came up and asked her a question in between services. My mom's wearing a choir robe, dad was a director. And, um, It was a question about when a class started or something, and uh, my mom said, you know, you look awfully familiar, but I have to admit, I don't think we've ever met. And the woman said, yeah, I've been actually going here for about two years, and I've never met anyone. So you're the first person I met. (laughs) And a church of about 800 people, and this woman had been going for that long and hadn't been part of it. Everyone's name is known in the body of Christ. Everyone's God knows the hairs on your head and has them numbered church membership is essential, not because it helps the church grow, but it helps us as Christians grow. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line.